0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. We've got Elliot Bassett with us. Hey, everybody. And we have special guest, longtime athlete and triathlon coach, Fred Scott. Hey, guys. Welcome to the podcast. And today we've got a a really, really interesting topic, I think. I think we're going to find some really good nuances here in, in this, and the topic for today is longevity in sport. Um, basically how to help athletes stay in sport from when they're 10 through when they're 80 plus, um, which is why we brought Fred Scott on here today. So, um, if you don't mind, Fred, can you kind of brag about yourself? Um, what's, (laughs) what's your, what's your race schedule look like for the rest of this year and what do you already have lined up for next year?
1: Oh, so I'm, I'm headed to 70.3 worlds in St. George in September and, uh, trying to ramp my training back up. I was dealing with an injury, still am a little bit, but, um, I've been able to get some solid weeks of training. So I'm hoping I can work through it with some help from a physical therapy and, and massage and otherwise, but, um, that'll be my key focus for this year. Uh, thinking about maybe a marathon in the spring, and then next year I've got Cordellin seventy point three, and then seventy point three Worlds Taupo if they ever open up the country. At this rate, I'm not sure. So we're looking at fifty
2: fifty.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: we're going to two World Championships: one this year, one next year. And you were telling us earlier you're going to be in a, a new age bracket next year.
1: So next year, yeah, I'll age up into, uh, 70
0: to 74. Awesome. And yeah, I mean, I think that's like you said, you're doing a marathon going to world's going to world's next year and you're going to turn 70 next year. So I think that's, um, that's just something our our listeners should chew on for a second. Um, I know I've got a lot of athletes in in their forties that are kind of like, man, this seems, this seems like a real challenge. Um, you got a few years on those guys and, you're, you're in the thick of it, eh?
1: Yeah. I kind of always love the feeling when you're running in the triathlon and you have their number on the back of your calf and you pass a couple guys that are in their forties and they're like, Oh, you know, they're whispering between the two of them, like, Holy shit, that guy's like 60 something years old. <laughs> I get a big kick out of that. <laughs> That's
0: should've. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should. Um, and so yeah we were we're talking a little bit again before the podcast when when was your first triathlon Yeah
1: 1981 uh, I was living in Rochester New York and I did uh, they had a Hamlin Beach triathlon every year half ironman and that was my that was my impetus to keep keep healthy for the following year because we had a we had a running joke going who could do the most consecutive races there and we were up to we were up to 20 when it became tied 20 years. And
2: and I believe we were talking before you were about 29 when you did that first one. So you were just about 50 when you guys were, uh, uh, getting to the, to the last one. And that's the early two thousands. And you said also you have raced a triathlon every year from 81 till COVID, um, which is a pretty darn impressive streak. And I have a feeling you're going to have a bit of wisdom you can impart upon our (laughs) listeners. I hope so. At the very least, at least how to stay motivated and enjoy the sport. Um, because I think one of the biggest things we're looking for out of this is sure you can do a race and you can stay healthy and we can go through all the nuts and bolts of how to keep someone healthy and strong. But if you're not enjoying it, you're probably not going to find yourself on a start line every year for, for that many years.
1: Right. Um,
0: And yeah, and I think we can even just kind of take, take that COVID year out of there because there's, there's nothing you could do about that. Right. So, I mean, you, you, if you had a chance, would you have done a race in 2020?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: There we go. All right, cool. So I think that motivation piece was still there and that's to Elliot's point. I think that's one thing we want to kind of spend some time chatting about. Um, and then just to go back even further, because you were, I guess, at 29 in that first triathlon, did you play any, any sports growing up?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I played quite a bit of racket sports, but um, I didn't play much organized field sports. Um, In high school, I worked most of the, most of the, you know, after I got out of school, I was working trying to kind of save money for college, if you will. My parents were big on wanting me to go to college and they weren't necessarily in the position to send me there. So. That was part of the agreement was, you know, I go out and get a part-time job, but I spent an awful lot of time on my bicycle. I had enjoyed that since I was a kid. So, I uh, use that as a mode of transportation as well as travel trips, uh, pleasure. So bicycle touring. Yeah. Ju- yeah. Just yep. most, yeah. Not competitive, just touring just miles and just loving to be out on two wheels. I'm also a motorcyclist. So being on two weeks, two wheels kind of comes naturally and it's a somewhat of a passion for me. I still do that as well. I still, I still race the motorcycle. Well, I will not say race, I'll say uh, track days. <laughs> so, closed,
2: closed course. You go real fast.
1: Closed course. Yeah. Real fast. Yeah.
2: That sounds pretty fun.
1: Awesome. Very cool.
0: Um, so yeah, I guess a little bit of, um, kind of group sports and then a lot of, a lot of cycling, uh, from a young age. So when we're talking about being an athlete from say 10 until forever, you're kind of like, um, our, our poster, our poster child for this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was always active. Um, you know, I look at, I look at triathletes that I've coached and the people and I, you know, that I swim with now and run with and mine, I didn't have that childhood, uh, structured sport like like a swimmer would like a kid swimming or a a kid uh, growing up in a running family so yeah I had to learn a lot about the discipline of uh, training quite honestly Um, I kind of related to college because I kind of kind of cruised through high school without much problem when I got to college I didn't really know how to study I found that out on my first exam when I got a 28 out of 100 on my <laughs> chemistry exam, like, oh, <laughs> hey, mom, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot I had to learn in terms of both uh, learning how to participate in a sport as well as having a discipline to stick with it.
2: What were uh, some of the best ways that Yegas I guess you were taught those lessons about the discipline of training.
1: I think, you know, it really started in the running. Uh, I didn't start running competitively till I wanted to do my first triathlon. Cause I was inspired by the, I was inspired by the Julie Moss, you know, coverage of the Hawaii Ironman. And then when my buddy told me he had done one locally, I started, I had to run. I never ran before. So he took me out and just, kind of get, uh, guided me on on the, ru- on the run. And he became uh, later a marathon coach. So I worked with him for, and he was a friend. So we worked together, we worked at the same place. So I was sort of forever listening to him and learning from him. And um, he was the first person that ever told me, if you have a big goal, you've got to think in terms of multi- multiple years. Because when I told him I wanted to go to Boston, to race the marathon, his first question to me was, well, what, when, you know, what year? (laughs) I'm like, well, next April, of course, (laughs) you know. You're like, no, that's not how it works. You know, you need to figure out how to run, run faster, run healthy, run a qualifier. So it was that process of recognizing that it just wasn't, you just don't set your objective and then all of a sudden turn around and get it done. There's a process to it, so. And so he was you, a big, he was a big influence in me. I mean,
2: did you enjoy that process immediately or were there some pretty hard learning curve? Like, was there much of a learning curve and, and were there any other places where you kind of got taught those lessons?
1: Um, I said, yeah, I think I enjoyed it cause I'm, I'm goal oriented and I'm structured. Um, so I enjoyed it. I mean, running in and of itself, wasn't enjoyable f- for a long time because I, I tell the people that I coach you know because they'll say oh, I hate running uh, and I'll say well running's not fun until until it is and that's at, you know that's six to 12 months away so don't think it's gonna be fun anytime soon when you f- first start running and I also made mistakes along the way where as a runner, I would take the winter off. And after about 45 years of age, you realize you can't take that long off and, and come back and have it be anything close to comfortable. <laughs> you know? So like if you're going to run for a long into your older years, you really need to be consistent and not, not, take, not take undeserved time off. <laughs> kind of that's a
2: that's a very good way to put that. Don't yeah. take you, there's certainly times where everyone needs their rest right. and needs their time off. But right, if you're the older you are, you can less you can get away with. And and I noticed this even if you're working with an elite athlete who's 20 versus 28, and you'd think, oh, 28's young. Well, okay, sure, but the time off they can take versus a 20-year-old and, and bounce right back in is is actually kind of different. And it and the older you get the more, uh, I would say the more substantial the, the drop-off is. So,
0: yeah. So actually my, my, you just kind of answered my question there, but do you, do you see that window changing? And then like, if you were going to give some broad stroke examples of, you know, say an 18 to 20 year old, all the way up through like, uh, I don't know, 45, 50 year old, do you see that, that window of time that's like acceptable to take off of, of well, running specifically
2: go up to 70. He's almost,
0: let's go, got well, let's go up to experience. 70. Well, I, I feel like at some point that window doesn't change that much anymore, but, um, but um, let's but ask yeah. the expert,
1: you know, it goes back to sort of having an annual plan, right? You, you plan for what you have in the future and then you take the requisite time off to allow you to train to that plan because you just can't, again, the multiple year or the longer view, you can't just decide today that I'm gonna do, you know, the Boston Marathon next year and think that you're gonna be able to push your body at this age to the point it needs to be in, you know, a short period of time. So you have to, you have to have allow enough time to take you back and the longer you're off the longer it is to get back at, at, i think every time you age up it gets it gets broader in terms of the amount of time it takes you to start over and get to the point you want to be so the moral of that is don't stop just take you know use your use your rest to promote your healthy sport toward the future. Because Moy, if you stop for, if you stop for four months, you know, if I stopped running for four months, it would be torturous and probably very injury prone to get anywhere near competitive in terms of that sport. You know, it's one thing to have an injury and take time off, but it's another to just decide, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on a different sport. Like when I train for a marathon, I have to put the other in the beginning of the training. So say, suppose the training is 18 weeks. I can do the first probably 10 and still swim and still bike. But the last 8 I've got to start taking things off the plate, mostly from a energy conservation standpoint, more than anything. I can't, can't, I, I can't carry the same training load and still run a marathon at the level I want to run a marathon at. So, at, so then I take, I start maybe swimming twice a week instead of three, and maybe I don't ride, maybe I only ride tw- twice a week instead of three or four. But, at, you know, for the last maybe four or five weeks, it's almost like, man, I'm that 14 mile run kicked my butt. You know, I need to take tomorrow off kind
2: of thing. Has that changed for you over the last few decades? Oh um, yeah. 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 I
1: think so. Yeah.
2: And in, in which way, like, how would you say, like, well, would you say that there's that that you have to focus more specifically and like conserve your energy more or like, is it a specific workout recovery or how everything meshes together?
1: Um, I think the adage that, We've all heard about as you get older, it takes longer to recover. Yeah, I'm Find I'm finding that to be true. But I, I quite honestly, I've only appreciated that probably for the last six or seven years before that, it wasn't as big of a deal. So I'm feeling that more now than I did in my even my early 60s, because when I raced in my 60s, I was always. Um, joking, I'd look back and see how many, like if I could beat all the 50 year olds at 60, then that was like a thumbs up. And I, there were traces that I could do that. And then as I got to my mid sixties, then it was like, okay, I beat, you know, the 50 I beat, you know, everybody, but one 55 to 59 kind of thing. So I I always look back and see what the younger guys were doing to see how my times were judged against them because what i found was if i did that then i was more motivated to get maintain my speed and effort than i would if i just measured myself against my own age group are
2: are there any things that really stick out in your mind that you do you either do more regularly or more seriously or you take more seriously or, or just different cha- training methods than some of the folks that are your age that you're competing against
1: oh well I think definitely, I mean, because of the structure uh, that I've coached with, with regard to, you know, using training peaks and using uh, fatigue factors and fitness factors and all the, I'm very data driven. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned how to make the data speak to you in terms of how you feel. So it's, you know, there's one thing to have data, but there's another thing to actually use it and be able to have it project ahead. And the only way to do that is to constantly look at how you feel compared to what the data is saying, how you should, you know, how we think you feel. And so I work with all my athletes to have them recognize that it's not just collecting data. You know, you can look at power, you can look at normalized power on any ride or, you know, any against any measure of, uh, somebody in your age group, but it's, it's the continuum of how, how that's going to translate to the future, how, and because what we're looking to do is something in the future. So planning for that, and then having enough rest that you can undertake the level of training you need to get the objectives that you've set for yourself. You know, like if I want to shave five minutes off my swim in an Ironman, that's going to take a lot of time in the pool. And how much time can I afford to take in the pool to get that five minutes that I might otherwise have to use or should use on the bike to maintain, you know, or get a bike at five minutes there. So it's a time management thing. And what I tell people, too, is you're not the same person that you were last year. So you need to adapt your thinking and your training to adjust to where you are now. Um, you're.
2: Uh, it takes. Uh, it sounds like you're familiar with the. Uh, you never cross the same river twice. Analogy. You're never the same person doing the same workout twice.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> awesome.
0: I guess I want to take a step back to that recovery piece we were talking about a bit ago. And so, just for like an example, after this marathon you have coming up in the fall how much time do you plan on taking off a of running? And like, this can be, you know, just a guess. Cause obviously that hasn't happened
1: yet, but. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing too, is that I'm always experimenting. You know, it used to be, I'd say, take a month off of running. And how long you know, ago I, was
2: that Fred?
1: Well, let's see, we were training for the 2020 Boston. Mm-hmm. And of course that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we actually, when we heard that the race was being deferred, I knocked our training down to a half Ironman level and said, all right, we're just going to run and stay competitive. So at the drop of the hat, any weekend we can say, we're going to go race a half marathon. So we did that for another four or five or six weeks. And it's like, there's no races, (laughs) like nobody's holding anything. And so at that point, we just like, okay, I'm going to get back on the bike. And I'm gonna start, you know, doing other stuff. But it's always um, I kind of look at it, and I look at what I did in the past, and I'd say, do I think that worked, or should I try something a little bit different? So I'm always experimenting. But to Jesse's question, I'd say probably. And what I usually tell people from an Ironman and from a marathon is take the month after and don't do much of anything. Don't do anything aerobically hard, but certainly for the first week or two, don't do much of anything. And then you can start back if you feel like you got to do something. I mean, I've had people, I've had athletes that they'll complete a marathon. And then the following weekend, I'm like, is that your name I saw on that 5k downtown? I'm like, yeah, I felt pretty good. I'm like, oh man, how much, how many times have I told you, you know, that, that you're just spoiling, you're just going to spoil your recovery by doing it that way.
2: But it's. Do you, uh, cause you coach people of all ages. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like, um, you have a, a more like, is, is there a, a line in the sand or like you said, it's kind of a progression and learning each person individually, but like, if you had to say, like, let's say you were coaching a 25 year old versus a 45 versus a 65 year old, are there like certain rules or kind of guidelines that would, you would maybe throw out for recovery from a really big effort, whether it's a, you know, like big effort for that person. So for some people that's an Olympic for other people, it's a Ultraman.
1: Uh, No, I I don't think I have any particular rules of thumb. Uh, What I do is I look at what they have, you know, going forward. I look at what their needs are in terms of getting out and maintaining act, you know, being active. Some people can't sit around. Like they can't, they have a really hard time taking time off. Mm -hmm. So those people I'll try to say, okay, just like, let's, let's do a couple of weeks of you can go walk like you can walk every night maybe get in the pool but don't get in the lane you were in before you know stay active but don't get your heart basically don't get your heart rate up above you know maybe a aerobic or mm-hmm. zone 2 or something just let your body recover aerobically so from an aerobic standpoint it's different the younger person's going to be able to uh, recover aerobically much quicker. But from an injury standpoint, I'm also watching that person to, to, to try to help them understand that um, you gotta be careful. You know, your body has gone through a lot. And now if your tendency, which some people are, is to go out with their buddies and run, you know, track two weeks later and do the same workout they did you know, a month before the big race, well, it's not going to, it's probably not going to be a good uh, you know, long-term. Yeah. Long-term of uh, result. So I look for injury. I look for relic- injury prevention. I look for aerobic recovery. And I also, like I say, take into account the fact that people want to want to stay active. So give them something to do. And if it's, Like to, you know, Jesse's point, if, if, if you're coming off a marathon, then go out and ride your bike really easy, you know, that's not going to hurt.
0: Awesome. And yeah, so I guess, um, would you have someone who's say 25, get back to training a little bit sooner? Or would you have that lag time be increased? Like which, which way would you push that envelope? Assuming everyone had like is doing the same race the following year.
1: Yeah. I, I'd say the, uh, the younger person, yeah, I'd have them back being more, uh, working out more rigorously than the person that's yeah older. I would, I would let the older person take more, more recovery time, maybe not necessarily, you know, time off per se, but allowing the body to adapt and embrace the training that they just or embrace the race that they just undertook but also anticipate the training to you know to go forward you know it's like the case where a person has a double a double peak you know if they've got you know two Ironman or something which is not something i would, <laughs> i would promote but um you know if you had an Ironman, then you're going to follow that with a marathon well you've got to handle that situation differently than if you had an Ironman with a half Ironman, you know, three months from now. Um, So you got to kind of look at the stress that it's going to require to get to the level they want to get to at the next race. And again, the person, everybody's different because you might be really inclined to go back in the pool and swim hard and go back with your buddies on the bike and ride hard and go out for the weekend run and run hard and if you're not fully recovered, it's just gonna, it's just not gonna result in a in a good outcome. That's my experience, or at least that's my advice. You know, sometimes some people can do it, um, but there's also the people. I'd rather have somebody be a little more rested and start training again than come in all tired and sore and injury prone, and then two months goes by and they're like man oh man this hip issue just hasn't gone away well you haven't given enough time to recover and then they're two months closer to their race so time gets real short
2: it's compacted and then you have a lot of trouble as things get compacted like that
1: yeah
0: i totally agree um i know we're going to switch gears soon but i just want to talk about this a little more because i think this physical side is pretty important for um for changing over age and i guess what i've noticed with myself is that i i need to get back to moving quicker now than i used to when i was younger because i guess i turned 40 this year so i'm not i'm not quite um i'm not quite up with fred heading on to 70 age group yet but i'm still like i'm getting a little bit older and yeah i need to get back to that like maybe it's not running but i need to get back to make maybe getting some some hiking in um or some, just some time on my feet. And yeah, like you said, walking, I need to get back to that pretty soon because like you were talking about that, that four month break, if I'm, if I don't run for, for three weeks, then that, that curve for me to get back to a competitive level level is, um, is pretty steep. Like you were saying, and I think back when I was 26 in the sport, I could take three weeks off of running and it wouldn't take me very long at all. So I think I need to stay, stay moving, but, um, But yeah, but I also agree with that, that lag time before doing workouts has maybe increased. So my getting back to running might be shorter, but then that time where I'm just doing very minimal running until where I actually start workouts might be a little longer than it was for, for a younger athlete.
2: Less of a, I guess less of a break, but a longer, uh, low intensity period. Exactly. To sum it up. Um, shall we we switch it up?
0: Yeah. So that was a, I feel like that was good, good chat about the physical side. Let's talk about the fact that you've done a race every year for the last 40 years, like COVID thrown out the window. That's a huge motivation piece. And I think that's something that, that, you know, not every athlete can do. And I think, you know, I've athletes that are like on a a five-year Ironman cycle where they need four extra years to get psyched up to do another Ironman. And so, yeah, what's, um, what's kept you motivated to want to, get back out there year after year?
1: Um, well, the enjoyment of the sport, I love training, right? I mean, I, I always seek out other people to train with. So group group training, individuals, training partners. So um, having that uh, as an enjoyment is a big piece of it. The, the, the actual stamp on the calendar is that, especially when I was younger, you, and taking some more time you know undeserved time off um that stamp on the calendar would face me and say hey well by the way in four months you've got this half iron man you haven't been in the pool in two months so you know it'd be a motivator in that respect so so for me it was having the, the line in the sand and then enjoying the sport to be able to come back every year now also I want to I want to point out that not every year was I as competitive as I either wanted to be or in some cases uh, designed it to be. So when I was when I was working on weekends and when the kids were you know in playing sports and uh, other distractions if you would, real life distractions, um, you know this whole balance idea you can't you can't do everything you individually want to do if you have other, You know commitments, so I it took a while, but I would finally convince myself that okay, I'll I'll do the race, but I'm not going to be as prepared, right? So kind of adjust your expectations. That took a while; it wasn't immediate. Like at sometimes, I was frustrated that I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do, but eventually, you recognize the reality of the situation and. Fact that just being out there and just getting it done is more important is yeah as important as having the commitment to to do what you uh you know physically want to do. So yeah, from a mental standpoint, having your expectations aligned with your realities is really important.
2: And I'm kind of curious because earlier in the podcast you'd mentioned you had a friend and you guys were both doing the um, Hamlin Beach the half half yeah. Iron Man right. from the get-go. Um, and, and actually a friend of mine, he's done every, um, Missoula marathon, which is, it's not that old, but it's like, it's that year 14 or 15. And I think he was 22 or something like that when he did the first one. So he always has to be in shape for a marathon at the end of June. Right. Um, and, and it's just like a great motivator for him year round. He doesn't, you know, he's not always ready for it. So I'm curious how much did like that race play into you and how much did your, your buddy that was also doing the race, you know, um, like, did that play a lot into you just kind of getting into the sport, purely the idea of you had something to go for every year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent was, uh, the key, the key motivator was the race. It was, you know, the first time I did it, um, it was, It was one of those where I I counsel my athletes not to do, you know, like I was not prepared for the stress of a half Ironman, but I got it done. And so that in and of itself motivated me to come back the following year. So the race itself was the prime motivator, the, the training partners, the people I raced and the other guy that was, had done it for 20 years. um, he was generally, in fact, always more competitive than I was. He was a swimmer background, swimming background, and then um, a really, you know, really good cyclist. And so I never intended to compete with him during those years. It was just get up and get it done, you know, get up and get the, get the race done. But it wasn't until many years later that we realized we had both raced, you know, every year. So. It, It only became kind of uh, fun, competitive in the, okay, we're going for 19 years, you know, straight. It's like, oh, okay, here the two of you guys are left, you know, so um, yeah, definitely was having that thing on the calendar and saying that, yeah, it's going to force you to get busy at some point, get it done.
2: And how much, uh, like, do you have any ideas or suggestions for, obviously you had that race, um, but you've also still been racing 20 years since then. Um, do, is there anything you do with your athletes to help keep them motivated year after year and help keep them? It seems like you've always had a joy for the event, whether you were racing all out or racing to finish. Um, and generally I have a pretty positive mindset, but it, like for maybe someone who that doesn't come quite as naturally to, do you have anything you, tr- you try to do to, um, help put them in a better place mentally to have fun with the process?
1: Yeah. I always encourage people to look beyond the current training season. Um, uh, so that helps begin to identify things that they could do or want to do, or, uh, wish they you know, could prepare for. So when that, because what I don't want the the biggest thing I don't want when I train somebody, and this was, this was a one of the things in the group training, because people would come into a group training with little to no experience. And so it was all focused on an event. And right from the get go, our job as coaches was to encourage them that this is not about the event. This is about a lifestyle and it's about, putting yourself into the future with a healthy lifestyle so think about what you want to do two years from now or five years from now you know what have you always thought was really cool well uh I never want to do an Ironman right and I'm like well that's the first step <laughs> by having you say that you've already considered it so you're probably going to end up doing one <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it's the funniest thing. It's really, it's, it's hilarious. Cause the first time you hear somebody say that you realize, well, they thought about it, you know? So that contemplation phase is part of their motivation, even though they think it's nuts, they're still here doing the smaller stuff. And eventually you find out, yeah, they really do have an interest in moving up. I mean, I've taken people from zero triathlon training through Ironman and uh, many people actually, and it's a, it's an interesting process to watch. Um, but yeah, having having a forward looking um, horizon and always again going back to you're not the same person. So think about think about your life circumstances. Think about your training. Think about your health, but put something out there and think about stamping it on the calendar, you know, because you can't sign up for a race usually more than a year in advance. So having them think about it gets them toward the point where, hey, you know, uh, Coeur is opening next week or next month or whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I thought about that last year doing that race. Um, but I think. I generally believe the having that particular specific race or event focus helps most people stay motivated. It has for me. And I I find that it's for most of my most of my athletes I find that to be the case too.
2: Do you ever do when you're further out from a race, like let's say 20 plus weeks out, do you do anything in training to like put a little bit of variety in um, to keep people more, I guess, entertained or in, enjoy the process. Or like, because you'd mentioned, you know, you're going to have people go out for walks and hikes to recover. But once that period's over, is it kind of back to the daily grind, or do you like shift focus of training long term, anything like that?
1: Um. Well, generally, what I'll lay out for people or help them identify our train through races train through events right mm-hmm. so if um if somebody signed up for half ironman then I'll say you know really ought to get some 10k races maybe a half marathon in there maybe even another half ironman if we can put it together or even you know over a weekend we've had you know when i was doing the group group training we would have simulated events you know just let's swim in the morning no transitions per se, swim in the morning, you know, get on your bike or go get something to eat and get on the bike and stuff like that. So usually I integrate events into their training that allow them to, again, kind of hone that focus toward something more short-term because yeah, 20 weeks out, it's hard. Some For some people especially, it's hard for them to um, visualize how today impacts 20 weeks from now.
2: So it seems like you do a pretty good job of structuring, um, like you always have something to focus on relatively short-term, or at least you try to even personally
1: or for athletes or
2: I guess more for your athletes, like, uh, like when you can, like you always have that long-term goal but you like to give people short benchmarks as you work up towards the long term, more like for the spice of life and, and to, to kind of keep your mind engaged in the process.
1: Yeah. Quite honestly. Um, as I mentioned before, I'm really data driven. So mm-hmm. with training peaks, who all my athletes participated with, I use the performance management charting process and the TSS projections because in general, when I was, especially when I was teaching the group stuff, I would have plans, training plans at various levels. I'd have various levels of swim plans, various levels of bike plans, various levels of run plans. And then if you were a runner, your, your running plan would be higher. If you weren't a swimmer, your swimming plan would be lower and somewhere. So they would be though, they would be like 16 weeks or 20 weeks of workouts. And then I'd show them here's what your training is going to look like if you do it per scheduled. And when you don't, we're going to, we're going to manage the disruptions. So it's, it wasn't the, you know, call me and tell me, well, I wasn't able to ride this weekend. How can you adjust my training? Well, you're going to try to make some of it up, but at some point we're going to have to readjust your expectation for the race day because it's going to take 16 weeks or it's going to take 20 weeks to get there. And if you haven't, you know, if you fell off for two weeks, something's got to give. Um, So having that kind of even graphical data driven, I mean, I'll use a chart with with an athlete and I'll say, here's your TSS per week for the last six weeks and see how it's progressed here. And you had that one week where you were traveling and it dropped down and now you're back. That's good stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, they learn, I teach them how to use that on their phone um, to analyze the data and show them that, you know, here's your race way out here. See it right here. It's, this is your bar you're shooting for. So in order to get there, you're going to have to work your way up. So as soon as you start tipping down, that bar is not going away. It's your, that's your big, your big day. So I, I use a lot of the data.
2: Jesse. Do you mind if I ask one technical question? You got it. Okay. Uh, I said that, but when you were offline Fred beforehand, I said, I wasn't going to ask you, but I, I'm just kind of curious <laughs> now that you're talking about it. Um, how do you, how do you manage the TSS with swimming? Because I know like for a lot of people, you have to have the watch on and like, cause my girlfriend tracks all, she's a professional triathlete and like, you can watch her bikes and runs and watch that TSS. But I basically ignore it because none of her swims are in there and she swims 20 to 26 K a week. And that's a massive amount of stress. Right. Um, so I'm curious, do you have trouble managing the swims or do you have most of your athletes swim with watches?
1: Um, I generally encourage my athletes to swim with watches. Yeah. But in the beginning where before the watches became as capable as they are now, yeah. What I would do is, it's funny because um, I would generally take the duration. So it was really hard to understand the stress that was being generated by the swim in comparison to the bike and the run. Yeah. You know, so you think about, well, it's aerobic stress mostly, it's not physical quote unquote, you know, muscle stress per, per se, at least not as compared to the other two sports. So it was really hard to understand how I could measure swimming stress in comparison to the other two. So eventually I settled on, this was after probably a couple of years, I settled on taking the, the duration and saying that if you swam for an hour, I'm going to give you 60 TSS points. So it was TSS equals duration and minutes. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't, perfect but it was relative it was relative enough and the fact that in the bike you're not um, you're probably not going to get 60 points in an hour's worth of biking and in the run you're going to have to be going pretty damn hard to get 60 points so um, it was it was that one shot and you're not going to do three hours of swimming most most, yeah most people well, not most people right so um i just used it as as a way to input data that was consistent right so yeah okay maybe they went maybe one day of the week was in a you know anaerobic week well okay i didn't fool with it it just was there and i it was a it was a point it's like people saying well should i put my hike in should i put tss for my hike? where are my heart rate straps? Well, it depends, right? Depends on where you're hiking, what you're what you're doing. Sometimes it's sometimes the heart rate uh, isn't a very good gauge of effort. Like today, I didn't my power meter battery must have went dead, so all I had was heart rate. So I came back from the ride and I had, you know, sixty percent of what the stress was on the typical day. Well, that's because we're going up these huge hills, and by the time I get to the top of the hill, my heart rate's up, but I'm just grinding, you know, the power to get me to the top and it's not reflective. So anyway, yeah, I, um, nowadays, yeah, the watches, I just put the functional threshold speed in training peaks to the best of my ability, but I also adjust that too a little bit to kind of come back to that kind of bogey of
2: 60
1: per hour.
2: So, so, so essentially you're like, okay, we know the swim is the least accurate. And you've created your own system. And because you've used that system for so long, it's accurate to itself. And then you you're able to use those numbers pretty accurately to the athlete.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I talk about, you know, I talk a lot with people about precision and accuracy, right? Yep. So if you're aiming an arrow at the target and all, all the arrows are clustered, but they're a foot away from the target, you know, mm-hmm. they're pretty precise, but they're not accurate. Mm -hmm. So this was a case of not, not necessarily being accurate, but it was more precise than, than not having anything to go by in the early days. And now it's the same with the watches. I mean, it's like, it's better, but I'm still not sure what that, what that stress of that swim really is in comparison.
0: And just for clarification, when you say like swimming for an hour, you mean they're actually moving in the water for an hour not like when you hang out at the pool for two hours, but you're actually moving for 45 minutes of it? Yes.
1: Yeah. The moving time. Right. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. I literally swam on Sunday for (laughs) 1500 and watched (laughs) people swim
0: for an hour and 10 minutes after. Exactly. I knew it. (laughs) So... (laughs) I really like her talking about this this multi-year plan and getting people to think about that big picture to stay motivated. Um, do you think it has that same effect for like keeping people reined in a little bit? So you see some people who are like, Oh, I've got this Ironman on my plan. I need to start doing these crazy rides and runs, but then you say, well, do you want to do another Ironman the next year or the next year? Do you, I don't know. Do you have any experience with that, of like
1: kind of helping hold people back a little bit? Um not necessarily holding them back, but putting it in perspective. Uh, Some people wanna do an Ironman so they can say they did an Ironman, right? Um, And and in that case, they don't necessarily have a huge target for performance. They just have this completion goal, right? First time I did Kona, people said, complete not compete that was the advice and it was such great advice it's so simple right because it was only well it was only like five months since i had raced the qualifier and it was a it was a shock that i qualified so i'm not going to get gonna get back get rested and get competitive again so it's like hey you're going to the big island just complete just work on completion that's it so um, what I try to do is I try to work with the athlete to understand what's their goal um, and you know break it down into if they have a time goal okay well let's look at the swim, let's look at the bike, let's look at the run. Um, I always look for somebody that's competitive, I always look at that course, what the other what the age grouper has done in previous years, understand you know the, the dynamics of the course of the weather of whatever and if somebody wants to do a you know a 60 minute swim in an Ironman and they're in my lane in the pool it's like yeah I don't think so or you better get you better use these next four months like getting lessons like every day every week and move up two lanes but time better spent someplace else or at least you know use your time effectively
0: awesome um elliot i'm going to switch gears unless you have something else you you want to ask about this no i'm good okay carry Um, away so one thing we, we talked about in the beginning is that you you didn't have like a huge competitive base as a child or um like young adult do you think that's helped you with your motivation at this point? or Do you think that that's, that's hindered you?
1: What's interesting as I was writing this morning, I started thinking a little bit about that. Um, maybe not in that specific context, but, but here's the thing that I've learned is that the people who were competitive at younger ages seemed to, many of them seem to always base their current performance against their past performance and so I can't do this as fast. I can't do that as well. I can't do this as, as long. <clears throat> Whereas as for me coming up, it was always looking forward and saying, Hey, there's other people at my age doing something faster, doing something you know, longer. So why can't I do that? As opposed to, I used to be able to you know, do that twice as fast. So, In some regards it's worked in my favor i think from from the longevity of my sport it has worked definitely in my favor because i've never i've never been faster than the you know than the next year kind of thing so it's like you know kind of always focusing on what you can do that's better different or at least acceptable in the future and not think about how that compares to what you did when you were 20, 30, 40 years of age. So. That's awesome.
0: That's an awesome uh, kind of perspective shift that a lot of athletes could kind of embrace if they haven't already. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I was kind of thinking of, of like the swimmer who stared at the black line for 20 years in a row and they're just like, I'm out. And then they never want to do sports again, but that's an interesting right. kind of like flip that flip that on its head. that you look ready over there oh no I was I'm waiting for you to chat oh cool um awesome yeah I don't know I thought that was that was really good um I don't know I yeah I feel like we covered a lot in this and and gave a lot of people some some great things to think about as far as how to stay in sport for a really long time and like just knowing that I think that that motivation piece and that perspective of of how to keep looking forward is is really good advice to kind of stay in it mentally. Um, do you guys have any other food for thoughts here as we're, as we're winding things down?
1: I just, uh, Jesse yesterday, I mentioned to you that I reached out to a, another athlete who I used to not necessarily race with or against in, uh, back East, but I knew and cross paths with him. And he happened to have the same name, last name. And so I reached out to him recently because he had completed the, uh, Wisconsin Ironman and qualified for Kona, and said, you know, I'd like to have a discussion with you about your, you know, training, and I said, it would be great to for us to go to a race, like plan a race, go there, and go, and finish one and two, right, just go, because we're both in the same age group, and so we got started talking about, you know, the whole, the whole uh, concept of, Preparation and training, and so if there's other people out there, you know, that have an interest in kind of this longer term, you know, staying staying active and competitive and healthy, you know, I'd be I would love to to talk with them.
2: What's the best way for people to get a hold of you?
1: Probably uh, just through my email, and Jesse can put that oh. up in the comments or something.
2: We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah.
1: All right.
0: Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes and I'm just for people listening. I know some people don't always go to the show notes. You want to just say it for us right now and then I'll put yeah. it in there for sure though.
1: Yeah. It's uh Frederick F R E D E R I C K dot Scott at yahoo.com.
0: Awesome. And yeah, like I said, that will be in the show notes for people. So yeah, um, right. I think it's a cool idea to get, get a group of um, you know, in the upper age brackets, athletes all kind of working together to, to talk about how to get faster and and how to stay in this sport even longer.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's always an opportunity, I think, to just develop some more camaraderie and, you know, who knows, it might just be like, Hey, let's all, uh, let's all meet out at, you know, someplace for a week and ride our bikes or, you know, do a, do a camp together or whatever. Um, just the enjoyment of, you know, being out there and, um, you know, it gets, it gets competitive when you're in the race, but every, every other day is just another day of fun, you know, be out there, with people you enjoy doing stuff with.
2: Sounds like you've got a pretty good perspective on the sport. And well. <laughs> I, I feel like, I, I feel like it's it served you really well. And, um, I'm probably, this might be the first podcast I fully re-listened to. Cause you had a few quotes in there that I, I feel like I'm going to steal from you and use with my athletes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you coming on and and sharing your wisdom.
0: Yeah, thank you guys very much. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot about uh, looking forward, not backwards. So hopefully, the listeners have as well. Um, Thank you guys for spending the hour with me.
1: All right, awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Elliot. Thanks. Good meeting you.
2: Thanks. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Jesse. Bye.